Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Burdett, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Friday, May 27th. It's been a difficult week, and this is Memorial Day weekend, so make sure you put your flag out. On today's episode of the Roundup, we're going to talk about clinician burnout and turnover. Specifically, we're going to dig into this week's advisory from the Surgeon General on health worker burnout and a recent report from Class Research on clinician turnover. To tell us whether there'll be a doctor or nurse available the next time you're sick are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Well, I'm still reeling from the mass shooting at the elementary school in Texas earlier this week, coming on the heels of the mall shooting in Buffalo and the church shooting in California. And if you haven't seen or heard the comment of Warriors basketball coach Steve Kerr, I encourage you to do so. Incredibly powerful. We just can't let ourselves go numb. We absolutely have to do something about the rampant gun violence in this country. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, Julie, how are you doing? Gosh, I want to double down on that, but I feel like it's all anyone's talking about. So I'm just going to say I've been to Nashville and now I'm in Massachusetts and travel is like back with a vengeance. Ah, how's the mask to no mask ratio? You know what? That is interesting. I will say this. Nashville last week, no masks, no masks at the airport, no nothing. Seattle this week, lots of masks lots of mass in the airplane. So we're now a hot state. I mean, who's not a hot state right now, but definitely a different culture. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of variation out there. Thanks. Now, before we talk about burnout and turnover, let's talk about your Memorial Day weekend plans. Dave, are you marching in any neighborhood parades this weekend? Well, I've got a conflict this Memorial Day. The annual Woogums, that's the Wellington Oakdale Old Glory Marching Society Parade that occurs in our neighborhood every Memorial Day and Labor Day, is taking place despite COVID. But I'll be at Coach Leach's special CSP, Core Strength Power Training Program for runners. I've been doing that for the last six months or so. And afterward, we're heading to Summerhouse for refueling and libations, as Coach Leach likes to say. So I'll be running, not marching on Memorial Day. Wow, getting in better shape. Good for you. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how about you? Will you be uh, enjoying any Memorial Day weekend traditions? Well, my son graduates from ninth grade. I know it's a little bit weird graduation year, but we're very proud nonetheless. And my daughter is in a volleyball tournament that's being held at the University of Washington, which is super exciting. Might be the only time she ever plays in a Pac-12 court. So big, big kid weekend. Yeah, no, congratulations. That's great to you, your son, and your family. Speaking of graduations, my youngest graduated from high school last year. He was in the band and in Boy Scouts. So this will be the first time probably in more than 20 years that we won't have one of our own kids marching in the Memorial Day Parade. Sniff, sniff. But it also means that I won't be setting out camp chairs along the parade route at 5 a.m. to save us a good spot to take pictures. So this will be the (laughs) maybe I'll get to sleep in on Memorial Day at last. That sounds better. (laughs) Come on, Dave. Come march in the Wiggums Parade. Everybody marches. Nobody watches. It's exactly what you need. Exactly. All right. I'll I'll put that under uh, consideration, Dave. 
Thanks. But I did wake up early Monday to find this new advisory report from the U.S. Surgeon General on healthcare worker burnout. The advisory identified a number of factors contributing to burnout. Among the more interesting factors were science and public health getting political, the lack of human-centered technology, the lack of leadership support, and limited time with patients and colleagues. The advisory made some general recommendations to reduce burnout and made some specific recommendations for each healthcare sector. Some of the more interesting things healthcare employers like hospitals and health systems can do include show healthcare workers how much they're valued, commit to the health and safety of healthcare workers, improve access to mental health and substance abuse services for healthcare workers, and combat bias, racism, and discrimination in the workplace. So uh, it's not all about money or EHR systems, I guess. Dave, what jumped out at you from the report? What's the significance of the Surgeon General speaking out on this issue? And uh, do you think anyone will listen? Well, first, I'm enormously impressed with Vivek Murthy and his laser focus on mental health and well-being. Incredibly thoughtful, deeply knowledgeable, passionately committed we're fortunate as a nation to have him as our Surgeon General. Regarding the report, it's timely, it's on point, and I think it has legs. Your first point, though, about giving nurses recognition for the value they provide, I think the last thing nurses need are more banners proclaiming them heroes. Reminds me of Harvey Corman's line in Blazing Saddles, where he's an Army General, and when informed of morale problems. He said, let's give more trinkets to the troops. That to me is superficial. Contrast that to what Murthy says about his special advisory. And I'm going to quote him. It's so powerful. The nation's health depends on the well-being of our health workforce. Confronting the long-standing drivers of burnout among our health workers must be a top national priority. COVID-19 has been a uniquely traumatic experience for the health workforce and for their families, pushing them past their breaking point. Now we owe them a debt of gratitude and action. And if we fail to act, we will place our nation's health at risk. We owe them a debt of gratitude and action. This is stirring rhetoric. You know, sign me up. We don't have enough time to get into the specifics of the Surgeon General's advisory but it addresses the root causes of burnout that create emotional exhaustion, a sense of depersonalization, and low sense of accomplishment at work, which are driving these remarkable survey numbers of nurses saying they're, they're planning to leave the profession sometime in the next year. So what the report does and what we need to do as an industry is just make work life better for nurses so they can continue to do the vital daily activities they do for patients and for all of us. In the 1990s, Frederick Reichelt, one of the founders of Bain Capital, wrote a book called The Loyalty Effect, which basically advises companies to treat their workers well, so they in turn treat customers well. Everyone prospers. This was the playbook Paul Cousero, the just retired CEO of Emeticist, used to turn that company around. He actually spent his first three months on the job as CEO with a suitcase interviewing frontline home health workers about what the company could do to make their job lives easier. Paul filled dozens of notebooks recording those interviews, and the insights he gained from them became the basis for the company's new strategic plan. 
And under Paul's leadership, Emeticis's stock went from 11 bucks a share when he took over to as high as $325 a share. So the moral of the story is let's treat our nurses right so they can spend more time with patients and dazzle us with their competence. Will anybody listen? I hope so. This, this Surgeon General's report should carry the same weight as the watershed Surgeon General's report in the 1960s, warning against the dangers of smoking. Nursing burnout today is every bit as compelling a public health challenge as smoking was in the 1960s. Here, here. Thanks, Dave. Julie, any comments or questions for Dave? I just want to note this date and time when I'm about to go super negative on this, <laughs> on something that Dave has been super positive on. Okay. And I just want to say before I do this, Dave, I think I agree with everything you just said, because in my heart of hearts, I completely believe it. And I know we need to do it. But I also feel like the unions are going to go for the jugular on wage increases with this type of report. And I just wonder what hospital leaders can do to truly innovate with these recommendations versus just jack up the cost to address them, like I think has really been happening in the last six months. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you on unions. The last thing we need are specific mandates written into contracts or even regulation or law, as in California, which sets nurse staffing ratios independent of the hospitals. And quite honestly, the type of confrontation you're describing increases the animosity between nurses and hospital administrators. I, I think it actually ends up making the problem worse rather than better. So I agree with you there. And health system administrators are in a tough spot. Dave mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the AHA reporter, we talked about it, that basically said, you know, hospitals are going broke because of increasing expenses and labor supplies and, and drugs, and we need more money. And I don't really think that's the answer. If I were running a health system, I think I'd take a page out of Frederick Reinheld and Paul Kusro's playbook. I'd take a month off and do nothing but meet with frontline caregivers and really try to learn how to make their lives better, truly solve their problems. In essence, channeling Murthy, I'd show my gratitude by taking actions on the issues most affecting them. Julie, you mentioned in one of our recent shows that nurses are quitting their profession to work at Best Buy. I mean, that's just unbelievable. We just have to reverse this trend. And Dave, as you said, the issues go far beyond money. Everything needs to be on the table. The industry needs to get down to the studs if necessary to rebuild the system. So it works for both nurses and patients. The good news is that what nurses want aligns with what patients and consumers want. Smarter, kinder, and more affordable healthcare for everybody. This is the just cause health systems must embrace if they don't wanna see their care networks implode. Or Julie, to your point, or if they don't wanna be on the receiving end of unreasonable union demands that actually detract from our ability to innovatively address the problem. So they have to win hearts and minds in order to overcome, I think, this real threat of not takeover, but union imposition into the day-to-day -day work life of nurses and hospitals and other caregivers. That'll be really interesting to watch. All good points and definitely a topic for a future show. That's great. Thank you. Now let's talk about this related report from class from a few weeks ago on clinician turnover, which is the result of all this burnout. 
based on a rolling survey of nearly 60,000 clinicians, nurses were more likely to leave their positions during the first quarter of this year than doctors, advanced practice providers, and allied health professionals. Burnout by far was the leading cause of turnover, regardless of profession. And the leading causes of burnout were chaotic work environment, too much time spent on bureaucratic tasks, lack of effective teamwork, and no personal control over their workload. EHR systems were far down the list. Julie, what surprised you in the survey findings and why? What's happening in the marketplace to address some of these issues? And will we see the needle move in the right direction on some of these problems and when? Well, I can't say that I was surprised by much, but I guess I would have to say that the prominence of personal control over their workload It almost seems to find the face of clinician training and the pride of pulling multiple shifts and, you know, the oath to do anything to save a patient. And think about Florence Nightingale, like our healthcare profession has been one that they'll do whatever it takes. But with all the regulation and the trauma and the ill-designed technology, we're seeing personal control reign. And I, for one, really, I do appreciate it. Like everything that you just said, Dave. I also see how it could be the undoing of healthcare as we know it. And maybe that's a good thing. There's a lot going on in the marketplace to try to ease some of these tensions. You know, innovative solutions focused in the health system space talk a lot about taking away the friction, frictionless care. We're seeing all sorts of new solutions sprout up. So, you know, to relieve time spent on bureaucratic tasks, we're seeing digital solutions that automate everything from administrative and clinical patient communications instead of phone calls, people can actually get texts, automating care pathways, automating crazy rudimentary tasks and data entry, and other approaches that, again, reduce friction. I will say that when I was at Avia a few weeks ago that I talked about recently, some health systems moved to text immediately in COVID. Well, there were other health systems at that meeting who said they can't move to text because of HIPAA. So we have a big misinformation problem going on around some of the low-hanging fruit. I was struck, obviously, by the less effective teamwork statement. Health IT and digital health are all about trying to really create and support the teams. I shouldn't say that. They increasingly need to be. But it's simple stuff that can't just be automated without the right leadership context about how these teams function and what their goals are and who outside the health system is on the team uh, who needs to know things. And this issue of personal control over workload, again, I come back to this. As you know, we work with a company called Care-of that's working on a novel staffing model. We need to figure out whether it's through virtual nursing or telehealth or what have you, just more flexible ways to give not just nurses, but clinicians in general, more control over their schedule and frankly, more ability to make some money. Interesting. Yeah, I think people got a taste of working from home, working remotely, working through technology, and you can't go backwards. So uh, no, interesting analysis. Thanks, Julie. And one more thing I would just say to that, Dave, is, you know, I appreciate that the one comment, I mean, you said the EHRs were down the list, but I appreciate the comments I saw about how those who had EHRs that worked for them were more likely to stay than those that didn't. And I think it's actually pretty interesting to look at those systems and ask whether Epic and Cerner are really doing the trick or whether we're trying to really see broader technology that's really helping. But technology is making a difference. 
Yeah. They hate it when it doesn't work and they love it when it works. Right. I right. think uh, we, we all feel the same way. Dave, any comments or questions for Julie? Well, a recent hospital IQ survey found that 90% of nurses are thinking about leaving the profession in the next year. 90%. That's an almost unbelievable number. It seems to me from this survey and other surveys and everything we've been talking about, that nurses are screaming at the top of their lungs about what they need, less burden, more empathy, more time with patients, the ability to practice at the top of license, and channeling my inner Aretha, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. So my question goes in the opposite direction of Berta's. Why is the healthcare ecosystem having so much trouble giving nurses what they need to be happy and productive on the job? Uh, yeah, so I don't have a perfect answer to this question, but I see things like we've talked a lot about leadership on this podcast, and we have done a decent to good job in the last 15 to 20 years of elevating physician leadership. You see physicians now who have been CMOs and are now CEOs of major health systems. And we don't have many CNOs who have become leaders of health systems. So I say it that way because we still have a very physician-driven environment and an extremely hierarchical environment. And because we have all these top-of-the-license practicing issues, we don't all think about team-based care in the same way across health systems. So we have this issue of what does team-based care mean and physicians still reigns. And if that's going to be the case, nurses are going to get stuck in the middle. And I think that's what's been happening. And it's never been a profession where there's been a tremendous amount of control. It's been a profession that's really been focused around having shifts assigned to you more so than anything. So we could do ourselves a huge favor by further elevating CNOs, I think, to help this issue. You know, I had a boss once, Julie, whose idea of teamwork was his telling me what to do and my doing it. And you know how that tastes, right? Yeah, right. And we have so much of that sort of command and control, hierarchical way of doing things in, in healthcare. And we've learned in just about everywhere else that it doesn't work very well anymore. So maybe you're right. Maybe we need to change it at the studs. That's great. Thanks, David. Thank you, Julie. Now, I've never met a doctor or nurse who hasn't complained about their work environment. The difference now, I think, is that they're leaving their professions. And so that, I think, really does demand change. Now, let's talk briefly about other news that happened this past week. Julie, did anything else grab your attention this week and why? I'm just going to step onto my soapbox for a second. You know, playing off of where Dave started with the shootings and the gut-wrenching activities that have gone on the last couple of weeks, this made me shake my head when I saw an article from Behavioral Health Business earlier this week about how payers are overwhelmed by point solutions in behavioral health. And within 24 hours of my seeing that, we had another mass shooting. So I'm struck by the fact that we have hundreds of entrepreneurs who are attempting to solve the rapidly growing behavioral health issues in this country in ways that they believe could work for the populations they understand, while health plans are overwhelmed and struggling to find the more broadly applicable platform-esque easy buttons. And there is no easy button to what we're experiencing. And what I'm most concerned about is that no one I mean, maybe Steve Kerr does, but no one seems to feel accountable for stewarding our behavioral health for our citizens. So I don't know what we're going to do about the situation. Yeah, everybody's calling for it, but uh, nobody's leading. Thanks, Julie. Dave, what else happened in healthcare this week that we should be talking about? 
let's end on a positive note. I was very encouraged to see Republicans in North Carolina draft legislation that would expand Medicaid coverage to an additional 600,000 low-income adults in that state. Deep in my heart, I believe that Republicans and Democrats can agree that all Americans deserve accessible and appropriate health care services that don't break the bank. This is a good data point for that belief. As Steve Kerr was saying, we can't go numb. We just have to keep working at all these problems to make our country better. Thanks, Dave. Good stuff. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And if you follow our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite streaming service, you'll get notified each time a new episode is available. Don't forget to tell a friend about Foresight Friday Roundup. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Burda for Foresight Health.